welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. It's an important time of the year for athletes with spring seasons ending and summer ball getting ready to start. In this week's ABCA podcast, we sit down with PSP3 owner and director of sports performance, Nathan Hemphill. Nathan did his undergraduate work at Missouri State and worked with the St. Louis Cardinals rookie ball and AA affiliates. Did his graduate work at Seattle University. After getting his master's, he headed to UC Davis. Coach Hebpill is running three training facilities in the Kansas City area. He gave a phenomenal talk at our Royals Youth Academy Barnstormers this past fall. You can watch his video on the ABCA website or the MyABCA app. In this episode, we dive into summer training protocols, recommendations for the calendar year, holistic approach to training athletes and finding your purpose in life you're going to want to have your pad and pen ready for this one let's welcome nathan hemphill to the podcast here with nathan hemphill owner of psp3 in kansas city uh with strength coach with the st louis cardinals but nathan thanks for jumping on with me yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it uh, you know, you and I met in Kansas City, you know, shout out to Michael Jacobs because he got us connected and um, we'll, we'll get into that talk a little bit later on here. But what are really the keys right now to keeping players healthy? I think the main thing is consistency. Uh, the guys that have done nothing from tryouts until now, um, they start seeing that the body starts kind of falling apart. And so consistency is so important as the season picks up uh, here in the Midwest. The weather's crazy. And so we may have guys playing five games in four days. And so that consistency of training from March until now is what helps them to go through the recovery process, but also make sure that they are doing what they need to do to go out and play those five games in those four days. Yeah, I know you're more on the high school, pro, college side, but how early can a kid start training? Uh, you know, honestly, in our program, we start at age 10. And the only reason why is because of the individual, the individualization of our program. Uh, we do some things with some teams that are younger, but Really, the main just for those young kids is have fun, get them moving, um, make them athletic, make them really enjoy and kind of enjoy the baselines of training, and then they build up. What's great with our youth kids and our youth development program from 10 to 14 is they're building that foundational base of their house so that when they get to that older age, they can handle those loads as well as they know exactly what their movement patterns are rather than having to break a kid down and having to reprogram them. 
Yeah, and, and that's kind of a buzzword. You know, we're trying to create better athletes, but, you know, say you, you have a 10-year-old coming in, what are those foundational exercises that they, they need to be working on? I think the basic thing is you need to squat, be able to hinge, do a push-up to push-pull, throw things, and crawl. Uh, and it's very, very basic, and you can make it as intense as you want. But with those young athletes, consistency of doing the same thing over and over and over again is how those movement patterns kind of get ingrained into their body. And so that's the more simple, the younger, the better you're going to be long term. Yep. Yep. You know, and I want to talk about the calendar with you. Uh, seasons are ending, but then another season's getting ready to start. So let's start the calendar here, just going into summer season. What are some recommendations for players right now as they're heading into the summer season? The biggest thing I can say is Monday is your most important day. Uh, the reason why is our guys are playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday tournaments. Monday, yeah, they're sore. They're beat up. They just got back in town. It's the best day to get in get your body put back together. Yeah. Uh, because what happens is you sit around, do nothing on Monday. Then on Tuesday, practice starts, and you you feel just as bad or worse than you did on Monday. And now, guess what? We're playing in two days. Yeah. So Monday is such an important day to get in. As, as tired as you might be or what, get in, get your work done. Um, as well as we send our guys to the hotel workouts just because sometimes they play on Saturday morning at nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, get in the weight room and do things during the weekend. So you can kind of flush the body, get it moving because, you know, if you, unless you threw 90 pitches in a game, you can get into the weight room and get lifted in the same day. Yeah. I mean, there's a million directions we can go and really that's where it's evolved, hasn't it? Or active recovery days. You know, it used to be, well, you're just going to take the entire day off and then you didn't realize you're going to feel like garbage if you don't do anything. Yeah. But, you know, from an active recovery day, what, what does that look like for your guys? You know, it kind of depends on the athlete. Recovery is so individualized. So if, if you think it works, then usually it works. Um, so we kind of try to give all of our athletes a broad range of recovery techniques that they can do, whether it be active recovery with lifting stuff, with cryotherapy, with soft tissue work, with all those kind of things and find out what they like and what they makes them feel better. Uh, but I think really the biggest thing that I learned um, is in the pro setting, this is one thing that people don't get it until they're there is it's literally every day. There's no, like you play Tuesday, we're off Wednesday, Thursday, we play Friday. It's literally every day. And so we have to be able to create a program that's going to dictate getting the guys moving. And what we ended up going to was less of like, we're lifting for an hour and a half twice a week to, we're going every day for 30 to 45 minutes. And some days are more intense. Some days are not as intense, but we're playing with that spectrum to get them moving. And what we saw was guys would come to the field less sore, more energy, because it helped get kind of kickstart their day. And so I try to implement that at Seattle U when I was there with our guys, because if it's working at the pro level, why should we not bring it down to the other levels? Um, because it's, it's that important. With the pro workouts, uh, working out after games, before games, when they get up in the morning, w whenever they can get it in. Yeah. I mean, you name it. I mean, there's there was times that, you know, we games would get over at midnight. We'd be like, yeah. okay, we're not lifting tonight. We're going to lift tomorrow. You need your sleep. Yeah. Um, the one thing I always found it hard was is when we traveled, just because you're on a – especially when I was in double A, a 14-hour bus ride is nothing you want to get off the bus and go straight to the gym. You know what I mean? So that was a tough thing. Um, but I think that, you know, I tell our, you know, all of our kids, especially you can have a foam roll in your bag, you can have a lacrosse ball in your bag. You can have these basic bands or whatever you get to your hotel room. You've flown to Indy or to Lake point or whatever, and get some work done in your, in your hotel room, basic stuff, just get moving. And the next day you're recharged and energized to get to the weight room or whatnot. But I think the biggest thing is that it's just, I, I, it's not for lack of a better term, being lazy 
It's just the factor of they would rather do something else or not have to do that part of it. And so once you create that consistency and get it as a part of your training system, it makes it a lot easier if you like, oh, yeah, I got in on Friday night, need to do my 15 minutes of foam rolling. Saturday morning, I'm going to get up and we're either going to go work out or we're going to go play and then we're going to flip. Um, and it takes a little time, but I think that as athletes see the difference it makes in them through the longevity of the summer, as well as how they feel on Sunday when they're playing, it's an easy way for them to continue to do it. That was my two best seasons in college and into summer ball as I was going six days a week and, and doing same thing, short bursts, six yep. days a week, trying to get it in. And I stayed diligent with that, put a lot of muscle on and, and stayed healthy, you know, playing, you know, six days a week, you know, six games a week was able to stay healthy because of all of those things. It's interesting with the minor league restructuring now out this way with high A, they play like six straight days somewhere and they have Monday off. So like they, they're going to have off Monday, the entire schedule for their summer. So it's interesting to see how that's going to help them from a training benefit because they're going to be able to, to kind of tailor their schedule to that, that Monday off day. Well, hopefully they can, hopefully they can kind of cater to that in those aspects. And cause really, and what I see with base, baseball is an overused sport. There's not a lot of times that like a full contact injury happens in baseball. And so we're kind of fighting that battle of build, 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 break. We've got to continue to recover and break that process up. So we, don't, we never get to that point. Yeah. Um, and I had one of our, um, we had him in high school and then we had him in college and we have him in pro ball, um, plays in the Pirates organization, went to Vanderbilt. And we were talking about their training that they were doing down there. And he was like, it is 30 to 45 minutes a day. We're doing this, this, this. And it's like, this is one of the teams at the top echelon of college baseball. We should be adopting this across the board. Now, of course, in high school, it's harder to get kids coming every single day. But those more advanced kids or our academy kids that we can have control of those things, why would we not want to do that so that when they get to the next level or if they want to get to that level, they know exactly what those kids, those athletes are doing. Now, you're programming the same for your multi-sport guys that you're dealing with or you're just baseball-only guys. So, like, say they're getting into the summer and then you got a guy getting ready for football and then you maybe have a guy getting ready for fall baseball. Is, the, yeah. is it the same for those high school kids? No, it's all completely different uh, because we know the demands that the high school football players are going to be going through. They're less of lifting in the summer with us because they're already doing it at school, more of recovery, more of the stretching stuff because at the high school, it's like, you know, a gunshot goes off and it's bang, 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 bang. And then they're gone. Right. And that's one of our strength coaches actually trains a high school football team. And it's nothing about a bad strength coach or whatever. It's just time yep. and the number of athletes. So we kind of dig into that as well as like fall ball with our kids that are junior seniors in the recruiting system of, you know, some kids are shutting it down and we're having to like revamp kids to get them prepared to go to camps to get seen and whatnot as they go to these uh, fall showcases at certain schools they want to go to. So that, individualization process changes into what our mindset has to go into to programming but at the same time you know without taking all this information in just giving a kid a program is, is almost like it's just not going to always help the way it should yep and then so into fall baseball for those guys when does that power strength phase happen for them um when is their time to really try to hammer it out in the weight room to get ready for the spring so, um, you know, we, we, the old school mindset was, okay, we're going to wait until October-ish, November-ish, then we're going to go from like November until January, and then we have preseason. Well, the problem is like our window is like this big to actually get better. So what we do is we manipulate the entire time. So in the summer, we go heavy the beginning of the week, and then we recover at the end of the week. And so that allows for us to get two to three days of quality training in to where we're training explosiveness toward the end, where we're prepping and priming them for the weekend 
getting heavier in the beginning of the week to make sure we're making the progress we want to have rather than just waiting for three months of the year. It's the same thing we do in season where we may have a pitcher who's going to throw on a Tuesday. He's not throwing again until next Tuesday. We're going to kill him on Wednesday and then we're going to recover him and be making ready for the next, the next week. Otherwise we're never going to make progress throughout the entire year. And so I think that's one of the things that we've tried to change the mindset on is like a systematic approach with training through periodization or, or all those kind of things. That's where a quality strength coach comes in rather than just like slapping the workout on the board and saying, here's what it is. Knowing the kid's schedule, knowing what they have going on. Hey, we have five games these next four days, but then we're off for like four days or four games. Great. We're going to get out of it. You know, Cause one of those things with, you know, baseball practice is not, we kind of joked about this is not like exhausting, but it's, it is because you're standing a lot. It's time. It's a, lot a lot of time on your feet. A lot of time, right? So, like, we have to take that into account when we're creating a program and in a training schedule of, okay, cool, we have these three or four days off. We can get after this. Hey, we've got a big game coming up. we got to make sure we adapt this. Um, and I always tell our staff, I love it because it's like a chess match. We're, like, trying to piece this, piece this. Hey, so-and-so is going to be gone for two weeks at uh, these two tournaments on the East Coast. Okay, they need hotel workouts. They need to make sure you have this piece involved. Um, which I like because it, like I said, it brings me back to those pro days where like literally we're like taking puzzle pieces and putting them in place. And obviously it's working. You're getting ready to open up a third facility. And for anybody that watching on YouTube, you got boxes behind you because you're, you're getting ready to, to open up a third facility, which is phenomenal. But how gratifying is that to have your high school kids then go play college somewhere and then be able to come back and work out with you in the wintertime? I mean, it's, it's so cool. Um, you know, we have probably three or four kids that we've had since high school through college and into pro ball. Uh, and just watching them develop as young men has been amazing, first of all. But second of all, just being a part of their, their stories and learning from them. It's so cool because, you know, we've been very fortunate that athletes that have played at Power 5 schools, athletes at junior colleges, athletes at D2s, and they all bring a little bit of information about what's going on, what they're doing. Um, as well as, you know, what the pro level is doing about these certain things. And it's kind of fun to kind of bounce ideas off of them because then they become, they become educated. That's a big part of our program is educating uh, our athletes, kids, athletes, whatever, because when they're off playing, we want to make sure they're not take care of themselves. And that was the one thing that um, we learned probably two or three years in was, yeah, in college and in pro ball, they're taken care of in the weight room and they're on the, on the, on the field, but it's like the middle ground between they expect you to know what to do. And if you don't, then you're either going to get passed by or you're playing with the potential of not being available because you're injured. And that's a big piece, especially when it comes to the college pro setting more than the high school is availability is the way people make money. Yes. Um, we have, we have two pro guys that literally were in AAA, kind of got stuck, couldn't get into the next level. And the reason why they got to the next level was the guy above them got hurt and here comes your chance take it, run with it. If you take it and run with it, you got a job. And so that's, in my opinion, that's one of the most important things is being available as an athlete. I mean, how different is the program for your high school, college and, and pro athletes? Is it, is it much different? I mean, obviously I, you know, is it a lot different between those three levels? Uh, you know, it, in essence, it's, it's, it's the same thing, right? It's an umbrella of training. We, we kind of go under, we get a little more individualized, more dig in more for our pro guys, college guys, uh, we find a lot of more information. So we're reaching out to pro strength coaches, pro coaches, college coaches, college strength coaches. Hey, you know, what's the gap where they need to be at? Um, because when our kids leave our high school program and go to college, they're their athletes. Yeah. We are a support system to help them get to where they need to be when they come back. And so taking their information, but also bringing new information to the table. 
of, hey, this guy should be working on this or, or whatever. We have a guy that's a shortstop um, in, in minor league ball, and he came back, and they were like, he needs to get faster. And so I had a phone call. I was like, is he missed a ground ball ever? The answer was no. I said, then he doesn't need to be faster. He needs to be more explosive and hit the ball for some distance because that's what's going to move him up. And they're like, yeah, you're right. And it wasn't that we're right and they're wrong. It's just being able to talk as strength coaches and bring things to each other's attention because they bring things to us. We're like, we never saw that in the weight room. It's great. You guys see it on the field. Now we can implement it. Um, because at the end of the day, it's a giant web of coaches that are in the athletes all in the center. And that's a big part of what we need to be doing. What are some other things that have changed over the course of your career besides maybe the programming piece? Because you kind of see that hard and then it ramps up to explosive at the end of the week. And those are kind of those mini periodizations throughout the year. Yeah. But what are some other things that have changed over the course of your career? I think the, um, the recovery program we put together. And so, you know, we have our lifting stuff for our guys and we have a recovery program. And what it started as is they would come in, they would go home and they would stretch on an off day or whatever. And they'd come in and we're like, what'd you do? And they're like, well, I did this for a couple minutes and I was done. So we created like a 45 minute hour long active recovery program for all of our athletes. We have a baseball, softball specific one and, and so forth. And the goal is it gets them to come into the gym so we can work on them, but also get them to get moving because we know at home they won't do it. And the second thing I would say is probably our overhead athlete of uh, shoulder evaluation. And what we started doing with our college and pro arms was that we can predict strength. We can show performance gains. We can show all these things. But we can't show health. And in a game of overuse, if I can pass an athlete off to a college coach or a pro coach and somehow be able to put a stamp on this guy is, has a healthy arm, at least what we can see from range of motion, strength wise, all that kind of stuff, then potentially the chances of them either getting scholarship or staying healthy is higher. So if I can predict health and I can predict performance, then all of a sudden now we're across the gambit doing better. And so when we first brought in a physical therapist to look at ranges of motion, the shoulder, looking at research online of, okay, what predicts elbow injuries? Uh, is it hip internal rotation? Is it shoulder flexion? Is it whatever? And then devising a program so that we can sit down and say, okay, hey, when an athlete comes in, here's your performance numbers. Here's your shoulder hip issues or whatever we're going to work on. And we go at them in a tandem. Now we can help predict health and help predict performance at the same time. And not that we're doctors or any of that kind of stuff, but we've seen phenomenal, not only velocity increases in arms with our working on the shoulder aspect, but also the fact of guys staying healthy for longer periods of time. And so in our realm in the weight room, sometimes like the research is behind us because we're on the floor every day doing things. And so that's what we've kind of tried to get to is figuring out, can we predict a potential injury down the road? Um, as well as if we if they've been doing it in physical therapy, how do we bring it back into the setting? It's a preventative prehab stuff. And so I would say those things have been the biggest changes that we've seen in our program in the last nine years in Kansas City. Um, the calendar piece was a, a, a thing that I was 100% we had to do when we started because a lot of high school kids get so overwhelmed with the schedule. And so do, and just with parents, they've got so much going on. We map out everything for them. It makes it easy. You come this day. You come this day, of course, barring, um, you know, rainouts and whatnot, but it helps map those things out. And they're like, oh yeah, I definitely have time. Because really in season, you're asking for two to three hours in a week, which that's not a lot. But when you start thinking about practice and homework and all these things, it adds up. If we can map it out and give you the direction you need to go, then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I can totally do that. And then we see the difference between high school and summer ball to where, Guys come in summer ball, first weekend of summer ball is one of the most important tournaments and you're healthy and you're ready to go rather than my arm's been killing me. I can't even pitch this weekend. 
And that's the one thing we've, we're going to look at adding in the future is we always did an arm evaluation post fall ball and then pre high school tryouts or before. So when the, our pro guys show up and then before they leave for spring training, we want to do it now post high school season before summer. So I can say, listen, your arm's not ready to go out and throw innings, innings on a weekend anymore, or your arm looks great. Nice job. you working on it as well as it. It's a reiteration to those kids of, Hey, well, what's been going on the last three months? Well, I, I stopped training for three months. Well, guess what? Now you're and everyone else is doing this. And so just more data for us to play with um, and look at. And I mean, I mean, I'm excited to see how that works because a lot of the academies that we work with are very, they'd love to know that information. Yeah, it's amazing about 15 years ago when all the research started to come out with arm injuries related to hip immobility and, and imbalances in the hips. I mean, realistically, how long does it take for somebody to get their range of motion back? I mean, if they really start to work at it, say you have somebody that's behind the eight ball a little bit with their range of motion, how long does it take to get it back? I would say about two weeks. And what I, what I tell kids is that what happens is the longer you go without doing something, the more time it's going to take to break it down. Yeah. Um, but you have to be aggressive with it. You have to do it quite often. We actually had a high school arm come in, had a little pain, strength level was great. Um, range of motion was terrible. And within two weeks now he's pain free, he's throwing again. Um, and it's one of those things to help them progress. And then, like I said, if it's something where we see it, it's like, this is not good. We send it off to the next people, physical therapy, doctors. A lot of times it's there's, they start having pain and that's when we, we got to step in and do something. And we found out was this athlete was just so bound up and tight but as soon as we released it, it was nice and free and easy. And all of a sudden now the pain goes away. Perfect. So I, you know, we tell them it, it takes 15 minutes. I mean, every, every kid watches TikTok or TV for 15 minutes. <laughs> we can easily work on these things. Unfortunately, in the beginning, it's kind of painful because you've never done it, but over a period of time, it becomes easier and easier and easier, but you'd be amazed how many people just kind of let it go by the wayside. We, even our pro guys, I'll talk to them every once in a while. Like, Hey, how's, How's this and this, this, how's, how's your, uh, recovery? And they're like, Oh, you know, and it's like, dude, <laughs> listen, make sure this becomes a part of your program. Don't just let it go by the wayside. Even though you feel good, you've got to continue to do these things. You gave phenomenal barnstormers talk in Kansas city. I loved it. I'm actually using a lot of the, the exercises that you, you talked about and it made sense. I mean, and for anybody that I would go watch Nathan's Barnstormers video, it's awesome. You know, the last 15, 20 minutes, a lot of actionable stuff. But what you said made a lot of sense because people want to stretch that muscle while it's tight. Just go through a little bit of those four hot spots. And I thought those exercises make a lot of sense. Like I said, I'm using them and, and they do work. But just talk about that where people maybe think, well, stretching is going to be better as opposed to maybe the pressure and then range of motion work. Yeah. So kind of how it started with me was um, I'm a tight, tight individual. My hamstrings are great. My hips are super tight. And so I started doing like yoga and it was probably two or three times a week. I didn't feel any better and I couldn't figure out why. Cause I know I've, there's been amazing results with yoga. I just couldn't figure it out. And so what I started looking into was, was the muscle tight or was it bound up by knots? Yeah. And so what I found was when we work out, play sports, whatever, we get small muscle tears. So when they grow back, they grow back knotted like this. Well, I can try to pull those things apart by stretching, but until I actually break up that muscle tension, nothing's going to happen. And so how I explain it to people is that when you're doing something, if you're foam rolling or you're lacrosse flying, which is just an upper body foam roll, really, if you're rolling across the entire muscle, say it's my pec, and I go the entire thing and it's fine, 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 then boom, I hit a spot. I think it's like that rock that's there. That's a knot. 
and you can stretch all you want, but in my experience, you, it's not going to go away. And so what we want to do is create pressure on that, like a self massage. And what that does is the, this, the muscle senses tension and causes it to relax. And so the big thing for our guys across the board is, is, is that, that self massage. And so, um, I'm, I'm an analogy person because it makes more sense. I try to tell funny jokes to kids and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but what sticks in my mind is that right now in baseball, everyone is obsessed with velocity. That's the name of the game. Everybody wants to have that Ferrari engine, right? They want to throw hundred miles an hour. The issue is that nobody works on what supports the Ferrari, which is the brake system because without the brakes, the Ferrari goes 120 miles an hour and either crashes or my, the funny joke I tell kids is that, or you drive 30 miles an hour in a Ferrari and then guess what? Nobody cares. And so um, the four brakes that we work on is our pec. So I'm left-handed. So I left side pec right here where the shoulder meets. Okay. Your chest is the first spot. The second spot is your trap, which is up in here next. My collarbone is here. My trap is up top up here huge, huge tightness in, in, in athletes because of the tech neck, playing video games, posture issues, um, as well as most athletes that come through the door to us. We ask them if they do workouts on their own or whatever they do, they work on the front side of their body because they can see it. So everything gets pushed forward. And then now I'm in, a, in a, an improper position to throw. The next one is in between your shoulder blades, those bones in your back and your spine, those muscles. Rhomboids. That's yeah, my, you can call them wrong. That's pretty my... much. And that's what I tell people is that that also needs to be done on their throwing arm side, because what happens when I throw is a lot of guys will pull and they punch or a hitter will scap load and then extend. Well, if that rhomboid or that muscle out there is tight and knotted up, you can't get full extension. So instead of getting here and getting extension for velocity, you're stuck in here, which puts a huge amount of stress on the arm down the way. So a lot of times when guys are tight, with their trap or their rhomboid or their lap, which is the next one I'll talk about. They have pain across the front or shoulder. It goes down to their bicep and then it moves over here. The big thing is we got to get to it when it's up in here and the bicep before it gets here. Um, but a lot of times people are like, it hurts my bicep. Why would it be up here? And it's, it's all connected. It's referral pain. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to work. Okay. It's going to chain. The last one is your lat. So that muscle on the side of your body here up in your armpit is your rotator cuff. So it's kind of a twofold. Um, and those, my two favorite are the trap and the, I said the trap, excuse me, and the lat, because both of them limit in external rotation and internal. So my layback and my follow through as well as shoulder flexion, which those two things are a huge indicator for us of a potential arm injury. So if an athlete comes in with bad IR internal rotation or bad shoulder flexion, we know that's the first thing we have to get back. Um, and internal rotation usually gets tighter as the season goes on, which is just kind of part of the game. But the problem is that they can't internally rotate. They can't get through the ball. And then once again, they're having to stop motion with the wrong muscles. So now my brake pads that are stronger, which my pack trap, all that stuff, is not making my bicep be the brake. And your bicep's not the strongest brake pad. And so those four things are the most important thing we talk about with arm care. Um, and the joke I tell kids is my thumb used to be straight, and now it's not because we dig into kids. And... <laughs> It's one of those things where once you kind of do it a couple of times, you know, it's, it's not uh, as painful as the first time, but when I, I see kids like eyes light up, I always watch when they're looking for knots because they'll, they'll light up real good, but it's amazing. We had a guy, one of our high school arms go from, I think it was 150 degrees of shoulder flexions, which is terrible to like 170 in like three weeks, uh, which is phenomenal. And all he was doing is working on releasing tension. He wasn't 
benching more, squatting more or whatever. And that is where my mind has gone on with strength and conditioning in this world is that baseball strength and conditioning has to be a tandem of that movement, mobility, flexibility, plausibility, whatever you want to call it, and strength combined. Because I feel like when baseball strength first started, it was like old school, lift, 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 lift. And then it kind of morphed into like, okay, we're going to baby these guys and we're going to do this, this, and this. And it's like, no, 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 They're, they can be pushed. They can be all those kind of things. And certain th- ways of manipulating those together go a long ways. Um, and so I, I highly recommend that stuff. If anybody ever has, um, can't find the, the right spots or whatever, I tell kids all the time, text me, shoot me an email. Um, it's You'll know though. Right. I mean, when you start digging in there, you're going to know. Ahead. I mean, how often is it every day? How often should you hit those four spots? I tell kids once a day should be fine. No longer like a minute. Uh, you don't want to bruise the muscle. But what I always recommend too is like, you know, everybody wants to feel better. So throw a baseball, see how you feel. Do all those four, throw a baseball and see how you feel. And a lot of times they're like, man, my arm feels like nice and whippy. And I was like, perfect. Yep. You guys ever seen Indiana Jones? And they're like, no. And I was like, dang, I'm getting old. But it's one of those things where like the whip in Indiana Jones, right, is, is loose, but that is an immense amount of power. Your arm is the exact same thing when you throw. And that's how we create velocity, but that's how we protect the shoulder too. Yep. In the elbow. Where does sleep, sleep, nutrition, hydration play in all this? I mean, it's the most important thing. Uh, if you could put them on a, a spectrum, is if you were going to lift five days a week, you're going to eat well, sleep well. Sleep well is the number one thing. Uh, recovery. I, I, I would tell kids sleep. If you had to choose one thing to work on, sleep. Um, because that is when your body releases the most amount of hormones for recovery and all those things. So you may crush it in the weight room. If you don't sleep, you're not recovering correctly, you're going to break down. Yep. Uh, if you're trying to gain weight and you're only crushing the weight room and your, your nutrition is terrible, you're not going to gain weight. So uh, as un- unsexy as those things are for kids, like they're so, so important. And it's not that hard. I mean, it's, you know, put the phone away, schedule your stuff, get sleep. Um, nutrition wise is like eat. They're like, well, what do I need to eat? Just eat. That's the first thing. Um, eat the rainbow. Right. When you're my age, eat the rainbow. Whatever you want, just whatever. You just need to eat breakfast, snacks, that kind of stuff, and be realistic with them because otherwise they're not going to do it. If you try to get them on this nice meal plan with all these little pieces, if they don't enjoy it, they're not going to do it. So make it fun. Uh, We had a guy at Seattle that loved McDonald's, and I was like, all right, well, if you eat McDonald's, you got to do this for breakfast. And he was like, okay. And that was the kind of the trade off that we did with him, and it worked. So, what about supplements? You know, everybody always asks that question. Um, the reason why they call them supplements is it's an added to your nutrition. If you're not going to eat well and you want to go take all these supplements, you're just kind of wasting your time. Um, you know, there are, there is a great room for supplements like creatine, protein, that kind of stuff. Um, but if you're not going to eat well, you're just wasting your time. You know, I, I tell a lot of our kids, uh, kids always ask me, like, what do I take uh, as a giant old meathead now? Is that all I do is lift weights. And I, I literally take a protein. I take creatine and I take a pre-workout. So, yep. And the That's pre-workout I take That's is not, it's not caffeine based. Um, it's more of like a um, B vitamins and yep. called, the new thing is it's called neurotropics. The biggest thing is that they're trying to get away from kids taking 400, 500 milligrams at a time of caffeine, yep. um, which is not really necessary for anybody. Yep. And so I always tell our kids to bring in their products. And so we can kind of help take them through those things to make sure they're, they're making the right choices. Because we'll have kids are like spending 250 bucks a month in supplements. And it's like, guys, like go eat better, 
and then maybe have this and this and be done. Um, because you can have, you can go through the gambit of everything under the sun supplement wise, but it's really only what you're adding to your everyday. And kind of what you touched on too. If you think it works, then it does. I mean, that, that's a little bit of the supplementation, but you, you have to hit all the other foundations first before you even think about adding anything on, hit all the foundational stuff, sleep, nutrition, hydration, hit all those foundational things first. And then if you need a little boost here and there, then maybe look into something too. So. Well, and when kids come in, they're like, I want to, I want to take creatine. I was like, okay, why? And they're always like, I want to gain weight. I'm like, well, guess what? You are going to gain weight and when you stop taking it. You're going to lose the weight. Yes. So if that's your main reason for taking creatine. It's not the right way. Now, if you're taking it for endurance purposes and allowing your body to recover faster so you can lift more weights and get stronger, then, then that makes sense to me. But that's the one like an educational piece with the athletes of sitting them down and saying, okay, here's why you're doing this. Here's how you do it correctly. A lot of kids, when we first started, we're like, I'm taking protein, I'm taking protein. And we talk about, okay, well, what's your muscle's number one source of energy? It's carbs, yes. sugar. Yep. So if you're going to take protein when you're done working out, guess what? Your body needs sugar. Yep. So the big thing we joke about with kids when they're wanting to gain weight is like, eat gummy bears and your protein because gummy bears is sugar. Your body needs that quick sugar when you're done working out. Your body uses the, the protein for recovery in all those aspects. And so once again, it's <laughs> I gave a talk yesterday with some, some people about when we coach and whatever, and it's, it's kind of manipulation. You want them to get the certain thing out of it, but it's also like a give and take with athletes. It's, you got to give them what they want, but you also have to give them your advice and your pieces, but to get them where you want them to be. Yeah. Creatine for me was the, was the recovery piece. That's where I benefited as an athlete is because I didn't get as sore post-workout, post-game. And that's why I enjoyed taking creatine. I still enjoy taking it because I think it alleviates a lot of that soreness um, yeah. that, that you're going to see post-workout. Um, you know, it's all that stuff is fascinating, fascinating to me. Um, you know, wh where do you feel like the next part of this goes? It, feels, it seems like training's in a great place, but where do you feel like the next thing is for training? I would say... Um... You know, really, the, I think the biggest thing is continuing to find quality coaches and placing them. Um, what I've found in my experience, and this is just, of course, in my experience, is that um, until of late, strength coaches really have not been on the forefront of what's important to a coaching staff. They're kind of just there. And so they're an expendable person. Um, they're not usually backed very well. you got one coach with seven teams or you got one coach for 50 guys or whatever. Uh, and I think that the higher levels are getting better at it. But when I was in the college setting, it was one of those things where a lot of strength coaches were leaving great strength coaches because they're not getting paid very well. And that's unfortunately a part of the game, but it's also one of those things where if you want to qualify a person that's going to be there all day, every day, individualize every single thing that's going on, getting quality strength coaches in, and making it to where it's a long-term thing is huge because otherwise they're looking for the next thing. And that was when I was in the college setting, it was like, okay, it was always what was next because it wasn't really a foundational living piece. Um, so I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is. And by the way, that's a student athlete experience piece too. Like getting a good strength coach in there. That's a yeah. student athlete experience piece. Well, and it's also one of those things where like, if you have a new strength coach every single year, the philosophy is always changing because no matter what strength coach that you have, everybody has their opinion of what is best and not that anyone's wrong, but with that philosophy, it's always changing. Your body is never going to adapt and to accelerate and grow um, as well as, you know, I think that as the strength world is continuing to get 
uh, more and more and more individualized is having a baseball person um, in the essence of that, because, you know, this person's going to be at practices, this person's going to travel. And the one thing I've found with our athletes is if you speak baseball, they understand. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times there's certain sports and I would say baseball is one of them where the weight room still is kind of a, a no man's land in the sense that they're either thrown into a high school weights class. They just do it because they're doing it. Um, and we're getting better and better and better. But I think that one of the things that's really important is baseball athletes understanding the spectrum of where they need to be. Yes. You need to be strong. Do you need to be absolute strong up here? No, but you need to have a base of strength. You also need to have flexibility. You also need to work on this. And so I think that's a big part of it. Um, especially in a sport that literally lasts almost all year round. I mean, we've got high school kids that throw more than our pro guys do. And so it's important that they have to take care of themselves. You have people train barefoot? Uh, yes and no. Um, when we, a lot of kids deadlift barefoot. I personally deadlift barefoot. I like the feeling of controlling the floor um, and feeling it. Um, but for safety reasons, most of our kids do not because they don't trust a lot of the kids, honestly. <laughs> Talking about here. Um, we had Bill Walton was our track coach at JMU, and he was big on on training certain parts uh, barefoot, uh, just from a mobility standpoint, and you know, and balancing and imbalance, and um, it made a lot yeah. of sense. He equated a lot of what young kids go through um, from a lower extremity standpoint is because they put shoes on them too early. Like you can tell the kids that were barefoot for longer because their strength and mobility of their lower extremities was better because they, they got used to not using shoes. The one thing I will say about that I've noticed is that uh, most kids' shoes are terrible for training. Yes. You know, they got a giant heel on them. They have no ankle support. So we do speak a lot about that with athletes. Um, what would you recommend a- training for shoe-wise? I mean, what, what are so decent options? There's good, decent options. Nike Metcons are, are always okay. everybody's favorite. Um, then there's noble trainers that people use as well. Um, Under Armour has their own training shoes. One of our pro guys is sponsored by Under Armour. So I've tried their shoes on too. Um, it really comes down to your personal preference. You shouldn't have to spend more than 80 to a hundred bucks on a pair of shoes. And my, I only wear mine in the weight room. They're like sacred. Yeah. Um, you know, they last, they may last for four or five years and, um, the joke with kids is like, well, do you wear your baseball cleats in your house? And they're like, no, like they don't wear your, don't wear them in here. Like wear your training shoes in your training place. Um, but I, I think there's, there's some there's validity to definitely the barefoot training and athletes proprioception and knowing where they are in space and all those kind of things. Um, I think a lot of it goes back to the age an athlete starts training. Uh, I mean, myself personally, when I was in high school, I didn't really train much got to college and just started. And I feel like I was way behind in certain aspects than the kids that we have now that are 10, 12 years old, that can run, jump, all those things, because they've started that process sooner as well as a lot of kids go through that awkward growth stage where they shoot up. And also they like, they're walking like clowns because their feet are size 14 or whatever through, through training. You can kind of negate and move past those things if done correctly. I would have guys take ground balls and hit sometimes with their shoes off. Cause same thing to feel the ground. I think sometimes you have a hard time. It's like wearing batting gloves all the time when you hit. Uh, for me, it was the same thing with fielding and hitting. I think sometimes taking the shoes off, it allowed them to feel the ground and, and they would get into better positions because they could sure. actually feel where the weight was supposed to be on their feet. Well, that's the one thing we talk about with kids with lifting is they always want to work on, you know, lifting much weight, much weight as possible in the weight room and say, well, where's your force come from? Yep. 
from the ground. Yes. So if your feet are not in the proper contact with the ground, your ability to transfer force, you may be strong as can be, but if you can't transfer it for it, it doesn't matter. And so with that kind of stuff, with med ball drills, our pitchers do a lot of that stuff with our pitching coordinator to make sure they can feel what they're trying to do because you may have all the strength that you need. You're just not utilizing it like you should. Uh, well, yeah, watch a, watch a football player try to swing a bat sometimes or watch a football player try to throw a baseball sometimes. You know, and you've got guys that are 300 pounds and can't get a ball out of the infield because they can't transfer the transfer. Right. The well, it's, like, it's like me playing golf. I could, I, could, I was like, I mean, I, I could literally do this all day long, but the golf ball is not going very far. So, but that's kind of like, yeah, I agree. It's one of those things where, um, you know, having proper shoes is great, doing certain drills, barefoot, this and that. Um, and it goes back to, it's a tool in the toolbox. Yep. Um, and I think that the more tools you have in your toolbox, the better chance you kind of adapting and changing all these things. But I think it's also one of those things we can't just get stuck on one idea that this is the only way. And every year we sit down as a staff, we've got three baseball uh, strength coaches on our staff. We sit down and we kind of talk about, okay, what program, what was our philosophy last year? What did we learn about last year? How do we add this? What can we do for our athletes? I think as a strength program, you have to be able to reevaluate all the time because we are always making mistakes, right? The game baseball is a game of mistakes. And so we've got to learn from those mistakes. How can we use that to get better the next time? And then we look back. So I look back at the programming that I wrote back in 2013 when I started the gym. And I was like, it wasn't like, what was I thinking? But it was like, man, what was I thinking? Kind of thing. And then how I how we change and adapt. Um, as well as knowing that as a strength coach, my goal is 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 a threefold. It's perf- performance, health. And mental health. Those are my three things that as a strength. I want all my athletes to have. So we need to make sure we're trying to cover all the bases in those things. What are you touching on mental health? It's a huge hot button topic right now. We're seeing suicide rates through that was all over Twitter yesterday because something yeah. needs to change. A lot of it's social media. But how are you addressing mental health with your athletes? You know, I, it, it is it's a very tough thing. I'm not being a, a psychologist or a counselor or whatever. But, you know, our coaches are pretty much mentors because kids come to us with these things. I think recruiting is a, a big thing of it because we can see recruiting at younger ages these days. We can see it, like you said, on social media to where uh, so-and-so is getting looks from this school and this school and this school and, and whatnot. And why am I not getting looks? What's going on? Um, I think the biggest thing is that we have a wide range of coaches that, number one, truly care about the athletes. That's the first thing a coach and our staff must um, have before anything else. But also, we've all been there. We have coaches. One of our coaches like literally had no scholarship offers whatsoever went NAIA, played college baseball, went played pro baseball. One of our coaches literally had a full ride. Just all those things of being able to bring it back to the athlete and say, listen, I've been there and here's where we can go. Um, and I think one of those things too, that getting kids to understand that the path to success isn't always the same. It's not always the D1 route. And it's and ugly them- too. Like that. that's for me, the narrative needs to change. I, this gen- And I have, I have a 19 and 16 year old. They think every day is supposed to be like your best day ever because that's what they see all the time. And that's not life. Life is rough and, and ugly and there's bumps in the road. And so I think that's where we have to, to maybe it's not a toughen up thing. That's not what it is. It's like, OK, you have to be realistic about the path and the path is bumpy and ugly at times. And, and as humans, we all have that common connection. But you look at any great success story. They didn't end up at home plate like they they had to round the bases and it got ugly and then they ended up. But there's a lot of trial and error with it. There's a lot of ugliness and everybody's path is different. Well, that's the one thing like when I first started re- I, the reading in college, it was all about strength and conditioning, like know the, know the strength and conditioning thing. 
probably the last three years, my reading has changed. So still doing that a little bit, but mostly on the mental side of sports and just trying to help our athletes stay mentally locked in. And one of my favorite books uh, that I've been, I read probably three weeks ago is called Atomic Habits. Love it. And it literally is about being 1% better every day. And the problem, like you said, every kid thinks like today I'm going to squat a 30 pound PR and then I'm going to hit a home run and then I'm going to do this. If I don't, I'm, I'm a loser. It's like, no, no, no. We're just trying to be 1% better today than we were yesterday because it's a compound thing that builds up over time in the sense of, and that's the thing with, with kids today is everybody wants it now. Like, what can I have in the next week? What can I have in the next six hours? Microwave society. Yep. And I, I tell the kids, is it's like, listen, like we've been building our program for nine years and we are nowhere near where I think we can get to. Um, and it just takes time, but it's also... We're not trying to change the world in a day. We're trying to progressively, slowly do this and be methodical. Um, and I think that one of those things, it kind of resonates with kids. And one of my other favorite books is Chop Wood, Carry Water. Yep. Um, and it's about the most basic necessities in life done very, very, very well is what elevates you to success. And I think that's one of the things that kids want to go and take 100 swings one day or, and then do nothing for three weeks. Or they want to come work out one day this week and they're not going to come for another week consistency is the number one way to get better at anything in this world. Microdosing. Be, yeah, absolutely. As well as not letting it overwhelm you because, oh, did that, cool, move on, did this. Rather than thinking you spend this much time doing certain things. Um, and so we've really tried to, we have a podcast, we talk about educational things uh, on all the time. But the biggest thing- What's your podcast? Kids, it's called the Peak Sports Performance Podcast on Spotify and Anchor. Um, we interviewed, our, during COVID, we like interviewed our pro athletes we had a really cool interview with one of our um, pro basketball players who lived in Italy when COVID broke out. It was crazy. <laughs> but one of those, but like learning how to embrace adversity. And like, that's the one thing that I tell all of our kids, like when I was growing up, when I was playing sports, I was not good with adversity. I was always worried about failing and all, my biggest fear was always failing. And what changed was the time I said, you know what? Like I may fall on my face, but I'm going to get up. I'm going to keep going. And I think that if people can adopt that mentality in anything in life, like you'll never run into issues in the sense that everybody's always so worried about um, always succeeding or always so worried about what everybody else thinks about them. And so I think the mental side is really where being a mentor to athletes, they'll come to you with stuff. We can sit down and say like, hey, this is not about training today. This is about life and letting you know that number one, we're here as a support for you. But number two, I've been there. I've been through that injury. You bounce back, no problem. Here's what you're here's what you're expecting, and then it kind of like opens their eyes and allows them to kind of sit back and relax a little bit, um, because it is a crazy world. It is. I would. I mean, I've got a five year old, and I'm like, he's never having social media. <laughs> it's hard though when all their friends. I mean, that's the thing. Like yeah, once yeah. they get into school and their friends have it, and you know, there's that peer pressure piece that you're gonna hear about it, and that's where Buddhism and Stoicism writings have helped me because kind of helps you reframe things and understand that that part of the journey and the path that's what comes with all of it is the expectations and having better expectations about what actually leaving a leading a fulfilled life means it's helped me reframe a lot in, in a good way hey do you have a fail forward moment do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you but looking back now is one of the better things that happened to you um, I mean, yeah, I would say, I mean, in business or in like sports or what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I mean, obviously you were on the college pro side and now you run your own business. Yeah. I mean, was there, how did you divert that path to where now I'm going to get 
into the the business side of it and and not be on the college and pro side of it? So I would say my fall forward was when I was in the college setting. So I, I worked for the pro setting when I when in the summers when when they were playing the minor league ball, whenever I was in grad school and all that kind of stuff. And I had a full time job at UC Davis in California. Uh, loved my boss, loved the athletes, had a great time out there, um, but got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? Like, what what difference am I making in this world um, with what I what I what I thought was my vision or passion or whatever? And I got kind of burnt out on the hours and just like not having the availability to do what I wanted to do because the college setting is crazy. It's performance, 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 in the door, out the door, in the door, out the door. And it has no, it's nothing wrong with anything. That's just how it is, right? That's just how the world works in college sports. And I felt like I wanted to be a bigger part of someone's life and changing what they could um, do. And so when I decided to jump out of the college setting, I wanted to be closer to family. Um, I was 24 at the t- 24, 24 at the time, excuse me. Um, and I was like, if I fall on my face, like we'll figure it out. And, um, I was drastically, drastically wrong in the sense of that. I found if you follow passion, um, you, everything will end up working its way out. And I know that it, it, maybe not always the first try- time. Um, but literally, you know, when I opened the gym, I thought we were gonna be a CrossFit gym. CrossFit was huge at the time. I thought we're going to make money. We'll do sports performance for fun. And then like, literally we didn't have a facility yet. We went to a local like lifetime fitness just to work out. And um, we had six kids in the day and I, no one was paying me. We were just all training together to get a facility. And I got kicked out. They're like, you can't do this here. This is just different stuff. This isn't working. And so I was like, okay. Um, and then we found the first facility and I'll never forget like the first day, like we opened the doors we literally put like the last bolt in the ground. The first athlete walks in the door and I was like, we're doing this. I've got a bank loan to pay off. I've got to do this. I got to find a way to live, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, but I think that what really has changed in the trajectory of what we've done is that like, we always follow passion, um, you know, in helping others. I think that that's one of those things where, that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a, a part of something that was bigger than me. Um, I don't want it to ever be about me. I want it to be about, what our program stands for. Um, that's the reason why my name's not on it. Plus it wouldn't really fit on this logo because it should be too long. But, you know, every one of our coaches has a amazing story, amazing passion for athletes and helping um, young athletes and, and our pro athletes and college athletes. And I think that that has been the difference maker and what makes our program so special is that we're taking the strength conditioning side, high quality coaches, as well as mentors that, that literally care about the kids and then blending them together for this phenomenal result. I love when people bet on themselves. Like, I think that's a huge part of it. You're willing to bet on yourself. And another great example of you did other things to find your passion. I think that's what this generation thinks too. It's like, okay, I'm 18 years old. I'm going to figure out what I'm passionate about. And then I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. That's not how the path works either. You have to have a lot of trial and error and and do multiple jobs to really find out what your passion is too. I think that's key to all of it also. Well, when I, when I moved back, so when I was in California, I didn't really have the funds to start my own gym. So a place I worked for in college in Springfield, Missouri, actually hired me to be their director of sports performance. And it was like a gym. I knew the owner that the money was, was really going to be great for that area. And, and he's like, I want you to run my sports performance company. I was like, great, established business and whatever. It's me awesome. And within six months I was gone. And the only reason why was the culture. And I remember I took like a personality test because I was like, 
And my mom, it was a former teacher. I was like, mom, like, I don't know. I don't love what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, so I took a personality test and it was like, no, you're doing the right thing. You just need to change the culture. And as soon as I changed the culture, everything changed. Fired up to go to work every day. Uh, I go on vacation. My wife, she yells at me because I'm like responding to emails and like tweeting kids like, nice job on this or whatever. And I like come back on, on like Monday and I'm like rare, rearing to go. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I've never been this excited about things. And part of it's because like when you kind of get to run the show and do this, you get to make the decisions. But like we have a rock star staff that makes my job great because I get to go out and talk to people. And that's what my, one of my favorite things to do, which is kind of funny because in high school, I didn't like hated public speaking, but now it's like, I enjoy it because. Do you think it's because you're talking about something that you're passionate about? hundred percent. Yeah. I honestly yeah. think yeah. it's yep. the number one way it's, it's the number thing, number one thing to where, um, I usually, have, I used to like build an outline. Like I'm gonna talk about this, 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 and ended up just going off on a tangent because like when you speak from the heart about passion, you don't need it. You don't need an outline. It's just what you do. do you, what are your routines for working out? Man, obviously you're in that world. So what do you like doing personally? So <clears throat> I'm a very competitive person. Um, and I learned that in the college setting, I was just extremely competitive. And so I had to do something that was competitive. Um, and so I try, I was doing CrossFit competitively for a while. I would train my athletes like a strength coach, but I would do CrossFit on my own, help get in shape, this kind of stuff. Um, and it got to where I being so competitive, I was like, okay, I can either spend more time with my family or and run a business, or I can like travel and compete. And I was like, that's not going to happen. So family and business took, took over precedence. Um, and so now, um, you know, I do a, pretty much do powerlifting in the essence of just trying to get as strong as physically possible. I've never really pushed my envelope to see how physically strong I could be being a person who has no labor in either shoulder, um, makes things tough, but like I have no pain. So I just, I go that way. And what I've kind of found, I used to work out like five, six days a week. And now I've changed my schedule and my mindset to where I work out three days a week. I have more time for work for the business. Uh, and I'm happy. And so I think that's one of those things with anybody. When you finish college sports, you're so used to ingrained in training a certain way. Go out and try stuff. Go out and try. There's so many different ways to do things. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, what, what you're looking for is what's going to motivate you to want to do it because it's not always fun. Um, and we have a couple of coaches that just have finished college sports and they have zero motivation to be competitive. I, I stayed away from it for a while once I was done when playing. When you're in that realm, like you're just used to always being that way. You kind of want to breathe a little bit. Yes. Um, so really, I mean, it, it kind of changes for, for that and aspects of it here and there. But, um, you know, I kind of started like write my priorities down and my, what happened the first was I was trying to have like 20 priorities and instead with my workout, I was like, all right, I have three priorities. I want to spend more time with my family, more time for the business. And I want to get as strong as physically possible. And whatever happens, happens. And I'm, when I'm, when I'm 60 years old, I can become like a triathlete. I don't know, but like, it just doesn't motivate me right now to do much. So <laughs> what are some final thoughts or something I should ask you that I didn't? Honestly, I, I, it's a sounding board. Um, you know, I think that if you asked me my vision of what I wanted to do with my future three to four years ago, I would have told you I want to be a head MLB strength coach. Um, my vision, I want to change what strength conditioning means to baseball, uh, whether it be at the private level that I'm at right now, uh, at a high college level, at a pro level. Um, but I want to change that mindset because I know what it can do for athletes. And I think that baseball is getting there. I still don't think that they're there yet. Um, and so that's always been my 
passion, vision. And that's kind of why I love doing what I get to do uh, is because at the college, at the, my, the private setting, I can control all of that. Um, and so that's, that's the one thing that I think that that's my future side of what I want to continue to push is changing the thought process on strength conditioning in baseball, how it works with the athletic trainers and all that kind of stuff um, as a cohesive unit uh, for performance. Yeah. It's a more holistic approach, much more holistic. Right. As, as well as I think that's one time, a lot of times athletic trainers and strength coaches bang their heads together because the strength coach says, lift, lift, lift. The athletic trainer says, stretch, stretch, stretch. Well, why can't we be in the middle together? Um, and that's one thing that we do a really good job. At. I feel like at our program is talking to local physical therapists, athletic trainers, um, because our program is very, very different than the old school, just lift weights. Yep. Love it. All right, Nathan, I appreciate it, man. This was tremendous. So thank you, sir. I had a blast. Thanks for having me on. Coach Hempel has a great grasp on training athletes currently and where the industry is heading. I appreciate his passion for training athletes. I wish him the best in opening his third facility in Kansas City. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Jim Richardson, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownley at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, Instagram, ryanbrownley17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownley signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh